Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, June 14th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the head of the State Department of Health explains their plans to reorganize as the agency adjusts to several budget cuts. A look at conditions for Mississippi's children as we break down the 2017 Kids Count Report. If you are a child in Mississippi who's African American, zero to five, you're three times more likely to be in poverty than if you're a white child. And some of Mississippi's teachers are getting a seat at the table as the Department of Education holds meetings on its new education policy. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's State Department of Health is undergoing a reorganization because of major budget cuts dating back to 2016. Dr. Mary Courier is the state health officer. She says they'll transition from operating nine district offices to operating three regional offices in order to cut expenses. The districts were smaller areas that will be consolidated into the new larger regional systems. The three regional offices will be located in Biloxi, Tupelo, and Jackson. Dr. Courier tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more about the agency's changes to date as well as what's to come. We currently have nine public health districts around the state with District 1 being in the northwestern corner of the state and District 9 being on the coast. With our decrease in state funds this year, what we're doing is reducing that to three regions, a north, central, and south region. You know, we had to decrease the number of folks in our county clinics in January of 2016, and now they fit the number of patients that are coming in, and that was because of a decrease in patients, really, and Medicaid funding from those patients. But now, with the decrease in state funds, we're having to decrease the number of people we have that are paid out of state funds, and one way to do that was to decrease that middle level of the uh, district administrative staff around the state. How many clinics are there now? We have 87 clinics in the state now. We have at least one clinic in all but two counties. And how many did you initially have? Well, we closed um, nine clinics. Have you noticed a difference in what you're able to do as a result of closing those clinics? You know, not really. We are still seeing the patients who come into us now. I'm sure that there has been some decrease in ease in which they can get an appointment where they want to get it because some of our clinics are now part-time when they used to be full-time. So we decreased the hours in 41 of those 87 clinics. Talk a little bit for us about the changes in the state budget, what you have been dealing with. First, let me say, you know, the current changes that we're making are, are in response, like you said, to the state budget. So our state funds have decreased over the last year. What we started out with in fiscal year 2017, so that was last 
July 1st to this June 30th was a $36 million state appropriation for the health department. Throughout the year, there have been cuts to that appropriation of about $3 million. And then in addition, because of some legislation from the spring of 2016, um, we have used about $2 million for the trauma system out of the state appropriation, leaving about $31 million with which to do what we do that's paid for with state funds in the agency. This year coming up for fiscal year 2018, which starts this coming July 1st, we have about $24.5 million to use in those areas. Now, a lot of our budget is federally funded, about half of it, and our state funds, our state appropriation is only about 10% of our budget, but it's a really important 10% because it funds a lot of the things that go on in the districts and the counties, but it also funds um, a lot of our STD and HIV follow-up, so finding the contacts to STD cases and making sure that they're treated and finding contacts to tuberculosis and making sure they're treated and treating the patients with tuberculosis. And we fund a lot of our laboratory with state funds and a lot of our pharmacy with state funds. We also use our state funds to support our regulatory activities like restaurant inspections and on-site wastewater inspections. Um, even though they charge a fee for those services, the fees don't come close to paying for the service. So we use state funds there. Reorganizing the regional offices, will that do what you need to do to meet the budget? Closing those offices actually saves us about $1.5 million in rent and other things that you have to do for a building, like the utilities. Um, and then decreasing the personnel who are the district administrators and the district health officers saves us another half a million uh, but we still have to save millions of dollars more than that, and we're doing a lot of that through resignations and retirements throughout the agency, but also in asking our different programs to present us with a budget that really decreases their state funding. Another thing that we've done is we have redirected some of our federal funds out to the district and the counties. All of this happens and has to be in place by July 1. Well, you know, we're giving ourselves a little bit of time to actually move people in and out into different places. So we're hoping it will actually be finished by the end of July. But as far as our organizational chart and who reports to whom, it is in place July 1st. These have been some drastic changes. What has it been like for you to do this? <laughs> it is not fun, I have to say. You know, some of these decisions are tough decisions to make, and we've done everything we can to make sure we still have enough people to do the job and to make sure we continue to promote and protect the health of Mississippians. We're trying very hard to continue to do our core services. But you're, you're right, it is tough. It, these are not easy decisions. Um, and, you know, for a while we thought we were going to have, have to have a formal reduction in force, which we're very glad we don't have to do now. So that's a relief, but this is not easy. Change is not easy, and going from nine offices to three, it's a drastic change. What will be the impact, especially on the rural areas in the state? Like I said, the county clinics are going to remain open, so I'm hoping that there really won't be an impact locally in the rural areas. We know that those are the areas where we need the most support in public health. 
you know, public health affects all of us every day, whether you, if you drink the water or if you go to a restaurant or um, if you have relatives in a nursing home or you use a daycare um, or you get family planning services or immuniza immunizations at the county clinics. We're also looking at everything that we do and seeing what we can give up without having an effect in the county clinics if we can't afford to do it anymore. So a lot of our services we're really scrutinizing. All right. Well, Dr. Courier, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we appreciate what you do for the state. Thank you. Thank you very much. The reorganization has some concern that rural communities will have less access to medical care. Democratic Senator Willie Simmons is from Cleveland. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's concerned about the cuts. Desiree, I'm very concerned because of the various cuts that we are having to make across the board, Department of Health and other places. Those cuts, when combined, will have a serious impact on the citizens of the state of Mississippi, and in particular in the rural part the Mississippi Delta and Southwest Mississippi and other areas. Those areas, you have a high concentration of poor people. Medicaid eligibility is in excess of 30%. So when you start reducing the services, and if you're cutting as much money as we are having to cut from the budget, those agencies have to reduce services. With the health department going from nine regions to three, that means that there will be offices and places that we normally would see providing services in the Mississippi Delta won't exist, so it become a trend. And it's not just with the Department of Health, but the Department of Human Services, Department of Mental Health, the Veterans uh, Services, it can be devastating. And that's the fear that I have. It, it could cause everything west of Interstate 55 to look like a third world country. Do you currently have health department services in the counties that you represent? Uh, we do. Do you know if those uh, services will remain in place? That is the question. We don't know what the real impact is going to be. Uh, we do know that the health department is almost slashing this budget by a third almost of what it has been operating on. I think there are some places that the health department can improve upon, but I don't know that 10 to $11 million uh, was going to waste. Uh, so, again, when you start with just the regional offices going from nine to three, that says a lot about the health problem. Well, Senator Simmons, we thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you for your service. The health department's budget for 2018 is $24.5 million, nearly $12 million less than last year. Coming up, a report on conditions for Mississippi children shows improvement in the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. You count on MPB News for in-depth coverage of issues that matter to you. The state's ongoing opioid epidemic. A bill to allow guns in churches. The child welfare crisis. And the best radio newscast in the state. Those are just a few of the stories behind 10 new Associated Press Awards and another Edward R. Murrow Award. For the award-winning coverage you've come to expect, count on us. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Despite gains in health care coverage and education, Mississippi ranks last for child well-being. That's according to the 2017 Kids Count data book released by the Annie E. Casey Foundation. The study shows high poverty levels as a major disadvantage for children in the Magnolia State. The percentage of children living below the federal poverty line rose between 2014 and 2015 from 29 percent to 31 percent. The findings are part of the organization's comprehensive analysis of how kids fare across the nation using health, education, economic well-being and family and community for indicators. Linda Southward is is the director of Mississippi's Kids Count. She tells us more about Mississippi's results. Even though we're 50th overall, Kids Count comes up with these rankings by four domains, and one is health, family and community, economic well-being, and education. And within the domains of health and education, our children are ranked 48th compared to 50th. And one of the reasons for the improvement in health, we are doing better in the number of low birth weight babies. For example, in 2010, 12.1% of Mississippi births were low uh, birth weight compared to 114 in 2015, the last year that the data was available. But one of the areas that we have really done much, much better in is children without health insurance. Almost all children in Mississippi are covered by health insurance. We also have seen improvement in a smaller percentage of teens who are abusing alcohol and drugs. And then in education, even though we're still woefully below the nation in fourth graders not proficient in reading and eighth graders not proficient in math and high school students not graduating on time, we still have made significant improvements in each of those areas over the last four to five years. It would seem that all of these different categories would go back to one thing, and that's children living in poverty. I see in Mississippi it's 31% compared to the United States at 21%. So there's a pretty wide gap there. Yes, and Karen, that's an excellent point. That's for children overall, children 0 to 18. But when you break that down even more, when you look at very young children, the younger a child is, not only in Mississippi, the more likely they are to be uh, in poverty. But then you break that down even farther, and um, it's really an indictment in many ways. When we look at the number of young children, zero to five, who were in poverty, if you're white, it's around 18 or 19 percent, Hispanic, 36 percent, and African-American children, 54 percent. So in other words, if you were a child in Mississippi who's African-American, zero to five, you're three times more likely to be in poverty than if you're a white child. And perhaps that has to do with the figure, which is children in single-parent families. 48% compared to the national average of 35%. If someone is in a single-parent family, that parent probably is not able to provide financially because there's child care issues involved. Well, there's child care, and the more impoverished someone is, the higher percentage of their income is going to be attributed to things like basic needs of housing. $24,600 is the 2017 federal poverty line. So when you're looking at poverty, and if you're looking at a family of, let's say, four, it's less than $25,000 a year. But then if you take that on up to 200% of poverty, which obviously is twice that, that's less than $50,000 a year to support a family of four. 
And in Mississippi, when you take a look at that, we have an even higher percentage, obviously, of children who are in households uh, less than $50,000 a year. Another figure which there's a big difference between us and the national high school students not graduating on time. We have 25 percent compared to the country's 17 percent. But is that rate getting better? Nationally, uh, when looking at high school graduation and high school graduation on time, they have changed some of the indicators nationally. So I think it's really important to take a look at what we're doing in Mississippi. And as we know, as far as high school graduation rate, we have had a higher percentage that has gone up dramatically over the last 10 years of children graduating from high school, but that's graduating on time, which is the concern. And, of course, then that plays very much into the chronic absenteeism concern that we have in Mississippi and uh, school suspension in Mississippi. And those are two other projects that Mississippi Kids Count has taken a look at on the chronic absenteeism. But, you know, there are some bright spots when we think about it because we are improving, but obviously other states are also improving. And if they started at a better place than as they continue to improve, their outcomes are going to be better as well. One of the things that we know really does help children and families out of poverty is education. And so it is really hard to ever separate education and poverty. So I think the bottom line of all of this is that all of Mississippi's children should have a healthy start in life, They should have their basic needs met, and they should have the opportunity to succeed in school and life. Dr. Linda Southward is director of the Family and Children Research Unit at Mississippi State University. Dr. Southward, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Karen. It's always a pleasure. The Casey Foundation attributes better conditions for children and families to federal and state policies. It also warns that possible cuts to the federal program or the federal budget could affect progress made by social services programs. Coming up, prepare to wear blue this Friday for Men's Health Awareness. It's a Southern Remedy Health Minute with Dr. Rick DeShazo. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Sunday is Father's Day. It is Men's Health Week. What are three things that men need to do right now in regard to their health? What should be top of their list? If you are overweight or have a family history of heart disease, which most Mississippians do, You need to know what your bad cholesterol is, your LDL. You need to know what your blood pressure is, and that starts in childhood. It needs to be checked regularly, like every other year for children, or if there's a family history, once a year. And you need to know your blood sugar. Uh, You need to know your BMI, and if you have a weight problem, you need to fix it. So all those are easy preventative things. And then there are age-related screening tests. And all of those age-related screening tests, like the prostate-specific antigen for prostate cancer, the colon colonoscopy, all of those are related to when your family history kicked in. The earlier you have a family member with breast cancer or colon cancer or prostate cancer, the earlier we begin screening. And we don't know that if you don't come in and give us your family history. Are you wearing blue this Friday? 
when I had my colors done, blue wasn't one of them, but I'll still be wearing blue this Friday. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians will have a chance to share their opinions on an education policy with lawmakers during hearings this month. The Mississippi Department of Education is hosting a series of public meetings to discuss a new education plan for student achievement. Leaders hope the Mississippi Succeeds plan will help the state meet the new federal standards that replace No Child Left Behind. The public hearings are scheduled in Hattiesburg, Jackson, and Oxford starting June 26th. The Mississippi Association of Educators represents public school teachers. Joyce Helmick is president of MAE. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware they're thankful for the opportunity to have their voices heard. Well, first of all, let me say that the Mississippi Association of Educators is extremely pleased to see that the department is holding these public hearings on something as important as empowering their teachers to improve student achievement. Um, we've said this before over and over. We believe that the teachers deserve a seat at the table, and our, our Mississippi Department of Education is giving us that opportunity and that seat at the table. And we appreciate that the department is doing that and helping to empower our educators. So why is it important to have that open dialogue? The educators are, are the ones that are as the saying is, boots on the ground. They are the ones who deal with the students and the system every day. They know the curriculum. They know their students. They know their community. So they are the ones that should be heard, not only uh, with the lawmakers, but with the community itself. So at these meetings, what are some of the topics that you hope are discussed some of our, our topics would be uh, student assessment. Uh, how, do, um, how do we um, achieve this student assessment? Standardized testing, um, teacher involvement in uh, decisions made at the district level. Um, how do we actually provide the best professional development for our educators? We also are very pleased to see that our educators are going to be included in a discussion of the critical teacher shortage and how we grow our own. We feel like this is a vital issue. And so if our educators are committed to growing their own in the different districts that they teach in and represent, and they have the support of the department and their community, then we will have teachers who go into these schools and they stay there. We just invited Dr. Nathan Oakley from the Mississippi Department of Education to speak with our members about the ESSA plan. He gave us some vital information 
So the Mississippi Association of Educators is being proactive, and we're moving forward with including our membership and our educators in this process already. They are welcoming input, and so we have already begun that process in our summer leadership program. Joyce Helmick is the president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. And thank you, Alexa, for having me. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Because you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. Or you can download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. has an opening in our underwriting department. The ideal candidate will be an experienced professional with knowledge of marketing, sales, and advertising in television and radio. For more information, go to our website, mpbonline.org.